Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema. Hello and welcome to the show. This is Fresh Hop Cinema, a craft beer and movie podcast based in Chico, Calif, Hornaye. That's Johnny Summers. That's Maxwell <laughs> Minardius. People say California, but I added a horn. California. I don't know where that Calif- came from. <laughs> California. <laughs> Uh, if you've never heard the show before, welcome. We're very stoked that you're listening. We put out podcasts once a week. We cover new beers, new movies. It's always very exciting. If you'd like, and you have a second, we'd really appreciate it if you could give us a rating or a review, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you are a first time listener and you're not sure what that rating or review will be, wait till the end of the episode. Uh, but do remember to come back cause we'd really appreciate it. We'd also appreciate a follow on primarily two social medias that we use Instagram and Twitter. We're at fresh hop cinema. We post very fun stuff, sometimes surveys, uh, a lot of fun pictures. Johnny has a tendency of finding really obscure old movie posters. He posts that on our stories. I love seeing them. It's a great time. If you're a beer person or a movie person or both, you can find us on Letterboxd and Untapped uh, Movies and Beer, respectively. You can find us by searching at Fresh Hop Cinema or Johnny Summers and Max Minardi. If you have more than a couple thoughts, give us an email, just a good old-fashioned electronic letter. Send it to fhccast at gmail.com. And I would be remiss because it is the season of giving. If you did feel like you really love the show and you want to give us a dollar or $2 or $3 per episode to help us keep this show running, you can do that at patreon.com slash fresh hop cinema. We put out bonus content every week. We sometimes behind the scenes stuff. We've got a fun Christmas special coming this year um, and our patrons will be involved uh, to some extent in that. So if that kind of stuff appeals to you again, patreon.com slash fresh hop cinema. I believe that's all of our housekeeping this week. And my mouth is, um, I hope understandably dry because uh, there's a lot of talking. Johnny Summers, you picked out both beers. <laughs> I did. Yeah. You're, I mean, I know you're like chronic pothead. So I mean the dry mouth. <laughs> yeah. That's sense. what it is. It's just cotton mouth from, uh, the podcast equivalent of weed. Exactly. <laughs> um, listen, Are man, you a pothead fucker. I'm a podcast head. Um, <laughs> Weldworks. We haven't done them, um, in quite a minute. I know the name because you introduced me to Weldworks Brewing Co out of Greeley, Colorado. And I believe that we did on the show, a beer that is very, uh, well-renowned called juicy bits. Could you give me some more details? Maybe remind me when we covered it. Um, and maybe what we're covering throughout the show today. Yeah. So the last time we covered Juicy Bits was episode 179. I want to say it was our King of Staten Island episode just right mm. off the top of my head. Sounds right. I was looking it up earlier. Uh, and that was the rarely seen double perfect score from your boys uh, mm. on Juicy Bits. We Tens. both agreed that that's the last hazy IPA you've, you'll need. And now that I think of it, maybe that was where it ended for me. I was like, okay. <laughs> Juicy Bits is it. We're good. I'm done. Let's move on. Different beers. Uh, So yeah, we are going to be covering two beers from them uh, of very contrasting styles. The first is a mango marshmallow Berliner Weiss. Weird. And the other is a tropical double IPA. So I'm really excited for both of these beers. They're super eye-catching. The cans are amazing. I'll post pictures of them on Instagram. Mm -hmm. You'll see that. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and they're super rare. They're super hard to get here. A lot of times you have to trade before they just recently, I think right around when episode 179 dropped is when they became distributed in our area for the very first time. And you could actually go down to a local store and get juicy bits. So since then we've been seeing them sporadically peppered in, uh, with some stuff. So 
it's really great to see them around. They're a fantastic brewery, and I am super stoked to dig into their stuff a little bit more. But before we dig into them, I wanted to share some backstory from their website about Weldworks. Just a brief overview. Yeah. A couple of paragraphs that'll only hurt for a second. Grab a beer, strap in, uh, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about them. Uh, Weldworks started, like many other successful businesses, in a garage. Neil Fisher, the co-founder and head brewer, began homebrewing with friends at his home in 2009. And over the next few years, a full roster of nearly two dozen different colorful characters would come around once a month to brew, learn, enjoy one another's company, and enjoy one another's company. Uh, One of those characters was now CEO and co-founder Colin Jones, who was able to clearly see Neil's talent at every stage, at even that early stage. Yeah, reading's hard, guys. I know. (laughs) All right, fast forward a few years to 2014, Big Beers, Belgians, and Barley Wines Festival held at the Mm. time in Vail, Colorado, which is home to one of the nation's best homebrew competitions. A soft agreement was made in advance that if Neil was able to bring home a medal at this competition, he would consider opening a brewery. Well, as it happened, he didn't win a medal. He won two. That informal handshake between Colin and Neil quickly turned into a business plan, and 11 months later, the first beers were poured at Weldworks Brewing in Greeley, Colorado. So that's pretty cool. Obviously, like a very grassroots, um, somewhat typical, but still awesome story of the craft brewery. Started in a garage with dreams and, you know, just progressing home brewing to the next level. And uh, I like it. I like usually things that were started on like a handshake bet are pretty cool. (laughs) Uh, Like this show? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like our whole friendship, handshake, just bet, like. Bet you we can't do this. It'd be pretty cool if we did. <laughs> here we are. We're stuck with each other. Yeah, so. man. So wait, like you were saying, um, Weldworks, or like I was saying earlier, you introduced me to Weldworks because there was sort of this um, notoriety surrounding Juicy Bits in particular. And I remember you telling me like, yeah, like when we did this on the show, you were just, you were over the moon. Like, hey, we like we got Juicy Bits. Like it's just in stores now. We can get it. And there was all this hype. And I remember thinking even for that episode, surely there's no way it's going to live up to it. And, and like you said, we both gave it 10s. And to some extent, I have this this sort of elevated pedestal that I now have Weldworks on. So it's got sort of a handicap that it's uh, going into for this episode for me. And I feel like there's, I mean, it's a big swing to go for a mango marshmallow Berliner Weiss. Like that's a right? weird curveball. And I just feel like it could go wrong so easily. I'm wondering if, if you've poured it yet. I have. I've poured it and I have drank some of okay, it. Okay, then I want your first impressions before I give you mine. It is... It's confusing, but in a good way. It's it hits you from like three different angles. Like it's sweet, then it's sour, then it's this sort of pillowy marshmallowiness. It's really strange. And then you get a lot of the marshmallow like on the finish when you breathe out your nose. It is uh it's a trip, man. It's uh it's tart, but it's not like super acidic gonna melt your teeth off. I think it has an interesting sweetness that's balanced with that. That like is kind of from the marshmallows, but then the the smell and the, the just overall feel of the marshmallows is on the finish. This is uh this is a very unique beer. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say too. Like I, I I am I've had two sips at this point. I'm pretty sure I like it, but my first impression was very much this is this is unique. Certainly, it's 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 aspiring to be something different. They, what they had on their their website linked to their untapped profile for this beer. And it just said sour wheat ale brewed with marshmallow and nearly 4,000 pounds of mango puree. And if you look at the beer, that's very apparent. It's just, it looks like, I mean, I've got very little carbonation going, no head. It looks like 
like mango juice or, or like a fruit juice. And, you know, mango is what comes to mind, obviously. But same thing I got, like you get that marshmallow, particularly on the back end. Like it's super weird because it starts with like the bitter and then the mango sweetness mellows it out. And then it's just like, oh, like creamy, like pillowy marshmallow. It's very yeah. strange. It is, but it's like a good strange. I think I like it. Yeah, I think I do too. What did we say the ABV is on on this guy? It's a whopping humdinger at 4%. Yeah, 4%. That's a, yeah, man. I mean, there's a lot of flavor packed into very little ABV. But I mean, yeah, I'm I'm into this as well. I'm I'm going in for a third sip here in a second because I want to pick out some stuff that I don't like. Uh, I'm not convinced there is that, but I do want to give it the old college try. Is there anything jumping out to you that you're not about? Um, yeah, it smells bad. <laughs> like I first I smelled it and I was like, "What the hell did I get myself into?" Uh, but then you taste it and it's it's really good. But the nose on this beer is like just funky and a little sharp and biting. And almost medicinal, and you're just oh. like, ooh, I don't know, man. Yeah, I kind of yeah. get like the. It almost smells like so actual dried mango strips. If they had been mixed with like a vanilla candle or something, there is the, almost to to an artificial point where it's it's almost off putting, like you're saying. But yeah, when when you drink it, I think a lot of that sort of um, anything that might have been repelling on the nose is is not there when you drink it. Yeah, this beer is really good. The, the nose aside, I just plugged my nose and took a sip and swished it around in my mouth a little bit and mm-hmm. then breathed out my nose. I yeah. love doing that. It's so yeah. fun. It's like I'm doing science in my Yeah, mouth. man. Um, but it's good. It had that really – like it's super sweet. It's like really tasty. It just tastes like mango juice when you have your nose plugged. Mm-hmm. And then you get a ton of that just like that pillowy, soft, just kind of delicious sweetness from the the mallow. It's called mallow. <laughs> yeah, mango mallow. Would you say mallow or mallow? Mallow. Mallow seems more intense to me. It seems more biting. So maybe it's appropriate. Uh, you would say marrow, and it's the same word structure, just with a different consonant. So I was assuming mallow. <laughs> okay, but it's short for marsh. You don't say marshmallow, do you? No, yeah. but I think it's pronounced mallow. It probably is. I think they changed the spelling. Ooh, I mean, that's an easy, that's a quick, that's a quick production intern. That is, that is a Googleable. Yeah, statement. Uh, somebody fact check this idiot. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's no, it's spelled that way. It's spelled M A R S H M A L L O W. It's pronounced marshmallow. Marshmallow. Marsh. Marshmallow. <laughs> you know, so so I did go back in. I'm some of the 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 bitiness is kind of lingering in a weird way for me. It's not terribly off putting, but there is something about the. Yeah, sort of the the acidity that's that's kind of rubbing me the wrong way when it combines with the mellow mallowness of this whole thing. Yeah, the thing with this beer is you have to remember that it is a Berliner Weiss, so there's yeah, supposed right. to be that tang, and there's supposed to be like sometimes a little saltiness and a little spiced notes. Um, this could very easily have been just a wheat ale with mango yeah. and just been like no tartness, and then it would have just been like spiked mango juice. Totally. But I like that they actually, you know, did the little sour wheat ale approach. It gives it just another layer that like makes it unique. It's weird to have marshmallow, ma- marshmallow. <laughs> sure, uh, uh, words have become sounds. It doesn't matter. Marsh, the marshmallow. Yeah, uh, it's fun to say it like that. Uh, have you ever had a marshmallow sour? No. No, I don't think I've ever had any. Well, maybe like a pastry stout. I'm sure has kind of come across my 
my desk at one point with a maybe like marshmallows in it, but definitely no. I think outside of that, it's not a really common adjunct, obviously. Have you? Not even a little. No, it's only stouts. I don't think I've ever had anything. Maybe a brown ale once, but I'm pretty sure just stouts. Uh, Modern Times use vegan marshmallow Mm. uh, a lot in their stouts. It's really nice. But yeah, outside of stouts, I don't, I've never had one. And my first thought would definitely not be to put it with a sour wheat ale with mango. But I mean, you're kind of playing on that classic, you know, cream and orange vibe, you know, as far as like a, like an orange Julius or a, what are those, the little 50 50 bars, like the cream sickles? Cream sickle. Yep. So, I mean, it's kind of like a smoothie type vibe. So it's like, to me, this would be if you had like a marshmallow mango smoothie with overripe strawberries that made it just like bright and tangy. Is, yeah. That's the closest thing I would describe this to as something that I might have had in the past, minus the marshmallow. Why don't smoothie places have marshmallow to put in their smoothies? <laughs> it's kind of kind of against the idea of like, unless it's like a not healthy smoothie place. There's like, we'll I mean, put whatever no, you want in your smoothie. Yeah, none of those places are like super healthy. They're just like, no, you're going to eat fruit. <laughs> that's Feel the brand. less fat today. Like, the brand is like, add a protein shot and eat some wheatgrass while you're waiting for us to pour your smoothie. And it's like, I guess I'm being healthy. And then yeah. you, do you also want a pretzel stuffed with cheese and jalapenos? You're like, if it's sold at Jamba Juice, it's good for you. <laughs> exactly. And your uh, and your smoothie's just crammed with sugar. Yeah, you might as well have marshmallows at that point, I guess. <laughs> Would you like to add a scoop of vanilla <laughs> ice cream for $1.99? I mean, but I mean, how good is Jamba Juice though, you know? Jamba just, Juice is fire. Just One know time what I it was, is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just be what you are. Yeah. That's fine. I, I was so hungover one time Yep, on something weird. I don't, I think I was like wine hungover Oof. and I was just like crippled on the couch. Like one of those hangovers where you throw up the next morning and you're like, this is going to be a bad day, bud. Ooh, I haven't had one of those uh, in a while. Knock on wood. I haven't either. Knock on wood. Exactly. <sighs> yeah. But I got, like, shitty fast food burgers delivered, and I also had, like, a 40-ounce Jamba Juice, like, strawberry (laughs) banana smoothie delivered. Yeah, yeah. And it worked. My hangover was cured. Nice, man. It's because, again, like, wine is all sugar, so I don't know. And then Jamba Juice is all sugar, so maybe maybe two two negatives kind of cancel each other out in that situation. I'm not sure. Maybe. Or, like, I just really wanted, like, something cold and wet and, like, a milkshake, but I can't have milkshakes. I don't right. know why. I, I can't. If I knew why my brain did what it does for whatever reason, I would be a different person. I'm just, I'm along for the ride here, man. So Yeah, dude. Well, speaking of, like of, of milkshakes, like what you were saying a second ago, like you kind of, I would expect this to almost be a lactose uh, Berliner Weiss, you know? Oh, I scoured. I scoured. I, know, I, I even double checked, like, cause you brought it over and I'm like, well, this seems like a recipe for a lactose adjunct beer. Um, and it just isn't. And I think in, in that regard, marshmallow might be a nice alternative uh, for people who ha- are lactose intolerant. That's It's got that creaminess and that sweetness that you'd get from lactose without having to, um, you know, take take whatever pills you might take if you don't uh, like milk but want to drink So it. pop quiz now. Yeah. Is there milk in Malo? No, I already looked it up. There's not. Um, awesome. It's sugar. You're such a it's, good color. It's confectioner sugar, um, a couple other things. And traditionally, it's derived from, believe it or not, the marshmallow plant. Which is a thing. Yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, marshmallow root is a thing. Yeah, but I'm just picturing marshmallows growing on a stem, which is like candy land in my brain, but I like it more. So that's my reality from now on. I like that. I like I mean- your reality. I'm going to reject <laughs> ours and go with yours. Yeah. Why not? Ours sucks. Yours is awesome. 
Um, so all this to say, you want to give Mango Malo Berliner a, a little rating from Weldworks? Yeah, I think I do, man. I've I've got to try this a few more times, and I'm I'm really digging on it, dude. I think this is something that's really super unique. And I mean, beers like this are made for this show. Like, yeah, we started doing this so we could try weird shit that yep. we would never try, and try it together, and be like, "Whoa, that sucks!" or "Whoa, that's awesome!" Like, yeah. to me, this this oddball stuff is is why we do this in the first place. Sure. And I I, I dig that. I love the uniqueness of it. I love the innovative spirit that I feel led to this beer's inception, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just the random ingredients and, hey, this com- combination might work, it might not, but uh, we're going to do it. And I love the commitment to making a really high-quality beer while still taking risks. So uh, I like this beer a lot. For me, this feels like uh, like an 8.2. Very nice. Also very well put, my friend. Oh, that was very That was very nice. Um, Thanks, man. I'm a lyrical genius. Yeah, I'm, I'm right in the same ballpark. It's an eight for me. I think it loses a little bit of point for, um, you know, some of that acidity that doesn't quite jive. And I also think it suffers from uh, drinkability over time. Like, I'm, I'm not definitely not going for another one of these, certainly right after I finish this one. Um, but it is it is super unique. I love what it's going for. I, I like you, also love the sort of audacity of going for different flavors and trying new stuff. That's a very fun part of craft beer in general. And, and like you said, part of my fun in doing this show with you. We get to try weird stuff every now and again. It's like, oh, I never would have thought of that personally. So I like to get to try the fruits of other people's uh, backwards mind labors. I think it's a lot of fun. Totally. And beers that surprise me anymore, not to sound like, oh, I've been there, done that, but like, you know, 200 episodes two beers an episode that's like 400 ish if i would uh, just if right. my science holds true so like it's nice to be pleasantly surprised and f- feel new flavor or feel new things and experience new flavors okay feel new flavors that's a my new catchphrase. i love it where can people get this how much did it cost um especially i guess where, do, where can people get this if they're in chico and how much will they be paying for it uh i picked this up uh, on a recommendation this beer was actually specifically our pick of the week from Andy at SNS. Shout out to Doing Andy. Good stuff. I love it. Yeah. He brought it in and he's like, that mango malo beer is like the weirdest, best thing I've had in a while. Yeah. You should do it for your show. And I was like, talk me into it. So yeah. it's available there. It was about six bucks a can. Right. I'm sure any fine bottle shop in Chico is going to have it. Uh, ask your local beer practitioner if they have it. If not, tell them to get it. It's good stuff. Fair. Again, that's Mango, Malo, or Mellow Berliner from Weldworks Brewing right out of Greeley, Colorado. Get it in Chico if you'd like to. We'd love to hear your feedback. In the meantime, oh, it's an 8.2 for Johnny. It's an 8 for me. I like to say that. In the meantime, we're going to play you a trailer for a brand new film on Amazon Prime called The Sound of Metal. So stick around. Your hearing is deteriorating rapidly. We'll come back. Till then, Lou, we just keep going, okay? No. Lou, no. let's play tomorrow. Let's see what it's like, okay? I'm going to be like a click track. You can play to me. You have to understand your first responsibility is to preserve the hearing you have. I can't hear you. Do you understand me? I can't. I'm deaf. I'm deaf. I found a place. I think it's important that you stay here with us right now, Ruben. We're looking for a solution to, to this. Not this. I need you to wait for me, okay? You're in for me, Lou. You're my part. You're in for me, okay? You gotta wait for me. 
life. Ruben, the world does keep moving. It can be a damn cruel place. But those moments of stillness... Again, that was a trailer for Sound of Metal, a new film by Darius Martyr. I lifted this synopsis from a fellow named Matt Goldberg at uh, Collider.com, and he says this, Ruben Stone and his girlfriend Lou are in a heavy metal band starting their American tour when Ruben's hearing starts to go. Ruben, a recovering addict who's been sober ever since he met Lou four years ago, discovers that for reasons either relating to his profession or an autoimmune disease, he will eventually lose his hearing. His sponsor puts him in touch with a guy named Joe, who runs a community for the deaf and can provide Ruben with the support he needs so he doesn't slip back into addiction. However, the trade-off is he needs to devote himself to the program entirely, which means staying away from Lou for a while. Lou reluctantly goes back home while Ruben tries to live without his hearing, but is drawn to the allure of his old life touring with Lou. Yeah, that's a good synopsis. I like that. This movie was directed and co-written by Darius Martyr with his brother, Abraham. It stars Riz Ahmed, as Ruben, Olivia Cook as Lou, Paul Racci, Racy. Yeah. I'm going to say Racy. Let's say Racy. That's it's what I've picked in my brain, too. Yeah. Paul Racy as Joe, because he's got a sweet ponytail. It's pretty Racy. Yeah. Uh, Lauren Ridloff as Diane, the uh, teacher for young deaf children in this movie. Yeah. This was initially released at the Toronto Film Festival in September 2019, and it landed on Amazon Prime Video on December 4th, 2020, just not a week ago and this came in at 120 minutes two hours on the head on the dot hot off the press i love it um we were both aware of this movie i can't remember which of us was pushing for it more i don't think there was much convincing uh sometimes yeah. when we pick movies it's like oh hey i really want to do this one and the other person's like eh, i don't know but okay yeah and i think this one we were correct me if i'm wrong but both sort of like immediately like oh yeah like for sure. Yeah, I sent you the trailer, and you're, all I got back was a text saying, yup. Yeah, okay, great. Um, yeah, so I kind of wanted to know what, what drew you to this movie in the first place. Obviously, between the two of us, and if anybody's listened for any length of time, you're obviously into metal music, um, and we can talk about how that plays into the movie. I think, for me, it was it was less important than I thought it would have been going in, but um, was that part of what drew you in the first place? Are you a fan of Riz Ahmed's acting in general? Are, are you aware of his acting? Um, what was it? I am not aware of his acting at all. I was turned on to this movie by, I believe it was, um, I want to say it was the Barstool movie Instagram. Either that or mm-hmm. it was just an, uh, an Instagram ad from okay. Amazon Prime for this movie. And it was just being acclaimed as this like really well done drama and like just the acting was out of this world. And usually movies surrounding, you know, heavy metal musicians, you don't think amazing acting and like Mm -hmm. depth of character. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. You already have me intrigued just at the premise. Uh, And it turned out to be even a little bit more complex of a story than the, the trailer led on, which I really appreciated. So yeah, yeah. it it was simply just 
discovered by scrolling through Instagram. And then I think that's how I sent it to you is I just sent you the post and I was like, we're watching this. Damn yeah. it. It looks awesome. So yeah, it was just kind of uh, simply just based on the loose premise, but also, like I said, the the level of drama in relation to someone that plays heavy music, I thought was really interesting. And I'm not familiar with Riz Ahmed, Ahmed? Yeah, Riz Ahmed. Ahmed. At, at all. Like he looks kind of familiar. Yeah. Um, do you but, want me to do you want me yeah. to tell you how he's familiar? Yeah. So so the last thing with it, you and I think I don't know that we covered it on the show, but he made an appearance in Venom. Um, he definitely was in the Sisters Brothers, which we did cover on the show. He also oh, popped okay. up in Rogue One, the uh the Jason Bourne movie in 2016 with uh Jeremy Renner. But okay. what I knew him most okay. from was an amazing performance in Nightcrawler in 2014 with Jake Gyllenhaal. He was his yes. his sort of second hired apprentice kind of cameraman guy. That's where I've seen yeah, him before. Dude, if you guys haven't seen Nightcrawler, by the way, my lord, it's like it's up there for the past probably in the past ten years. I think that's probably in my like top thirty movies, maybe. No lie, yeah. Nightcrawler was so good, and he did such a good job in that movie that that that's kind of what brought me into this one. Like I'm, I'm into the sort of you know like it's not a biopic about a real person, but I like sort of the the biographical style of telling the character story of somebody who's involved in music. Obviously I can relate to that. And then I knew it was, was Riz Ahmed. And I was like, Oh, well like for sure we need to watch this. Um, so I want to know what you thought, just initial impressions. Yeah. Okay. So going in, I was, you know, expecting a drama and obviously it's given away in the trailer. So it's not spoilery that he loses his hearing. Mm -hmm. What I found was a very layered and kind of nuanced retelling of the classic tale of self-discovery through mm-hmm. a brand new lens with very interesting layers of addiction and like self-loathing and very, very deep and complex personal issues on top of losing your hearing and becoming someone that is missing a sense and the overall vibe that this movie creates of like feeling like just so helpless and like it was, you couldn't help but be moved a little bit by the portrayal of just absolute hopelessness in this movie. I mean, it was bleak. It was heavy. It was um, moving. Definitely. It was engaging. I wanted to see all the interactions and just, uh, I really liked Riz Ahmed in this movie quite a bit. So overall, my thoughts were I was pleasantly surprised and massively engaged in this movie. And uh, I was very, very pleased that we picked it for the show this week. Good, man. Yeah, I, w- I was too. I-, I was particularly interested in uh, the idea of, I-, I mean, you don't see a lot of movies in, we'll call this a mainstream, granted, I, I don't know what mainstream means in the year of COVID, but um, I don't know, like this movie was at the top of Amazon prime and like rent this or watch this movie. Now, if you have it, it was very well advertised. So I'm going to call it at the very least a video on demand sort of blockbuster level movie. And you don't see a lot of sort of marginalized communities in that, uh, in that not bracket. What's the word I'm looking for in that slot maybe. Um, mm-hmm. and the approach of, of centering around not just Riz Ahmed's character losing his hearing, but an entire deaf community was really interesting. So I did a bit of digging. Um, and Paul Racy's character is actually a guy who's, who's very much active in the deaf community. He's not 
as far as I could tell, deaf himself, but he grew up with deaf parents. He's in a, he's in a, oh, what band was it? Let me see if I can find it real quick. Um, he was, he's in a black, let me see if I can read this right. A black Sabbath tribute band called hands of doom, ASL rock, which is American sign language rock. And they perform in sign language, uh, black Sabbath songs. So he's very much involved. And he was talking about, um, his experience is an article on IndieWire. He's talking about um, himself and and the director um, uh, Darius Martyrs sort of approach because there's a lot of like a list Hollywood actors like oh well I want to portray this like I'm a big name I could help you with your movie or whatever um, and from the get Darius Martyr was like no like I it's such a crucial uh, role um, in this movie uh, Joe's is the the sort of you know head of the deaf community like we want somebody who could, who's both obviously believable, but has kind of some skin in the game. And, and we want to be representative of, of that community because it's never shown really. Um, and I kind of branched off what you're saying in terms of like empathizing with, with Ruben. Uh, but like Joe really sold this movie for me too. Like he's, he's such a, he's got like a lot of wisdom in those wrinkles on his face and you just really like, you understand him without, they don't really give a lot of backstory on him, but you kind of get it. You're just like, he's, he's the real deal. And I think mm-hmm. that that's a theme um, that extends throughout the entire movie, like all of it feels really real. I would love to talk a bit about sort of the unique cinematography and, and maybe sound design approaches here. This is again, Darius Martitz's first feature length film, which is I think incredible already, but there's points in the movie where we go basically POV in terms of ears. Um, Mm -hmm. So point of maybe point of hearing um, where the movie will totally drop out sound or you'll hear things from his perspective or like it'll come in and out like he's experiencing. Did that kind of stuff work for you or did it take you out of it? No, it didn't take me out of it. In fact, it, it, I think it succeeded in what it was intending, which was to put me more in it. Yeah. Where you're like, Oh, Oh, like the, you're, you're hearing from his perspective. And I, I really dug that, that it was, it was abrupt and it was kind of shocking. And it was like, it was that fish out of water, you know, being alone mm-hmm. in a crowded room and really unsettling. Like it kind of gave me anxiety yeah, a lot, but it was intended to do that. And it really, really worked for me. Yeah, man, there's, um, yeah, it, it's pretty jarring, but I think the difference, cause there's plenty of movies, even musical movies about people that are blind. Um, the Jamie Foxx film, um, about Ray Charles comes to mind. And mm-hmm. it's so easy to look on screen and see a blind character, you know, like they're wearing glasses or they have a stick or they're having a hard time. But I don't know that. And I found myself at times being like, oh, like I kind of forgot that he was deaf. And almost right? within like a few seconds, um, it would cut back to his loss of hearing. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Like he can't hear stuff. And it was a really, mm-hmm. for me, at least a super effective way of putting us back in his shoes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It. it- created empathy in a really successful and genuine way i, I like the way it did that it was it didn't feel pandery or like heavy-handed it was it was really tastefully and, and successfully done in my opinion yeah is this did you watch this alone did you watch it with shalina or no i watched it with shalina i i i watched it um with gianna my wife as well and we also happened to know like a few people that watched it because it's it, like you said it's you know fresh out of the oven this movie is and a lot of people are watching it and sometimes on the show we'll cover movies that you know, kind of your average maybe movie person uh, wouldn't maybe lean towards. Like I think later on in the show, when we talk about Possessor. That's one of those movies that maybe isn't for everybody. And what I love about this is that on paper, it's probably not for everybody either, but Darius Martyr directs it in such a way that it's very accessible to, I think the average movie movie goer or movie watcher yeah. these days. Mm-hmm. I love that about it. It's, it's just super approachable. Um, 
and very digestible while not sacrificing any sort of um, narrative integrity or, or humanity. It was, it was, I liked it a lot, man. Yeah, me too. I think we should rate it and then maybe get into spoilery stuff in the danger zone. And so we can keep going. Cause I, I liked it a lot, but I want to like have an unbridled conversation. Yeah. Okay. I think you're right. So let's, uh, let's give it a rating out of 10. I will uh, yield the floor to you first. Oh man. Well, I like this movie a lot. It was very, very unique. Um, really captivating performances. I liked the acting a lot. Uh, there wasn't much that didn't work for me. I mean, I think it was really well put together. And I think at times it was just absolutely visually stunning too. I mean, this movie knew when to be still and it had some really amazing shots that were very akin to just amazing still life photos that I, I really enjoyed. So not only visually pleasing, it was just so unsettling and anxiety inducing. Um, no, I dug this movie. I think it's one of the more original ones we'll see this year. Uh, for me, this movie, this is going to be like a, like a 7.9. 7.9. We're, we're, we're neck and neck this week, my man. Really? <laughs> yeah, because I'm going to go with an 8. And a lot of the same reasons. I do have some qualms. Um, and I guess without spoiling, I feel like it sort of maybe doesn't lose its way partially through. But it, it does sort of take a couple of turns that I feel like lost some momentum for me. And I, when we do start spoiling it here in a second, I'll, I'll talk about that more, but um, it's a really, really well made movie. Riz Ahmed is fantastic. Um, we'll probably talk more about Olivia Cook's character, Lou later on. Um, and there's a lot of, a lot of good here. And I, again, like accessible, inspiring, it's, it's shedding light on a particular um, group of people that don't really get a lot of attention in mainstream movies and therefore mainstream culture or people's minds very often, I think. And anytime a movie can do that, I'm, I'm mostly on board. So I think eight's very respectable. 7.9 for you. Sound of metal. Would you like to spoil it, sir? Yeah. Let's do the danger zone thing. You want the, you want the noise? I do. Okay. I'll give you the noise. I missed the noise. Danger, danger zone. zone. Danger zone. Danger zone. Danger zone. Danger zone. Danger zone. Okay, then one final warning moving forward. If you haven't seen Sound of Metal yet, again, it's on Amazon Prime. If you have the service, you can also rent it. We are going to spoil it moving forward, so consider yourselves warned. Um, I think where I'd like to start is one thing we forgot to mention is basically when he um, decides to go and stay with this community, he always has as his sort of final goal. He's heard that he can have a surgery that will allow um, doctors to bypass part of his ear and put in implants that allow his brain to translate vibrations into sound. He's like, well, perfect. I will do this. Uh, I will just, you know, it's cost, I think they said 40 to $80,000. So that's what I'm shooting for. Uh, and that increasingly becomes sort of a point of tension, um, with, with particularly, uh, Joe. Um, cause a big thing that Joe is about the character, Joe, again, Paul Racy is like, look, you're deaf, but it's not a disability. It's not a thing that needs fixing. This is who you are and you can live a great life with that. Um, so what I want to ask you, Johnny Summers, is when all of that sort of starts bubbling up and, and how it plays out by the end, I, what did that, did it, did it work for you? Because I had parts where I was like, I don't, I don't, it kind of came off the rails a little bit. But what did you think about that in general? Yeah, I thought Joe's kind of dogmatic dedication to the idea that like deaf people are perfect the way they are and like, like there should be no changing that you should, there's nothing to fix essentially. And it's like, well, I mean, if someone wants to do a surgery or get a hearing aid, I feel like 
you should be cool with that because like it could help improve their life or make them happy. Um, I, I thought his monk like dedication to not altering you out of your state of deafness was uh, one a little strange and two a little unbelievable. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I wonder how much of that is by design, sort of threading the needle of you know um, deafness as as a not disability, but how it overlaps with his sort of addicted past. Cause I mean, yeah. this movie took a turn pretty quick from being about just about this guy losing his hearing to, to sort of his history with addiction, um, which I think is a very interesting idea. I just think that the, the leap that we took um, didn't, I didn't necessarily land on the other side of the, the chasm, you know? Yeah, no, I feel you. I think that was a point where it could have kind of been tied together a little bit better. Like they go and, and they visit Joe based on um, um, Ruben's sponsor, Hector. They talk or well, Lou talks on the phone for him and Hector's like, yeah, like I know this guy, Joe, he works with deaf people and he has a little community. You can go and like almost without missing a beat. It's just like, look, you need to stay here. Give up your phone. You're not talking to anybody. It's like, wait, what the fuck? Hang on a minute. Like we, we skipped, we skipped a page or something like Howard and he's weird. Like she's fine with it. Lou is. And he's understandably like a little bit like, well, no hang on. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that jump, that sort of, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I jumped into the addiction thing too quickly. Like the rehab vibe basically. Yeah, definitely. Like the rehab vibe. And it was, it was odd because it's like you said, that was just, it all, it was so drastic and it all happened so fast. Like, why don't we just teach the motherfuckers some sign language? Right, right. Like, why has it got to be like he's going to, you know, bad boy summer camp all of right. a sudden? Right. Well, I, don't, I, don't, I hate to point this out, but like if 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 the idea of being deaf is not something that needs fixing and the goal of rehab is basically to fix something, I don't know that you can marry those two things and have it be kosher on all fronts. Like you're clearly trying to fix something. And I totally am on board with like when you have a huge life change or something goes wrong, like especially with, with a, an addiction past, if you lose your hearing, like there's a good chance you're going to fall back into those patterns. Um, but if that's what you're trying to fix and find, but like there's a, there's a thing that Joe says where he's like, nothing around here needs fixing. It's like, you're trying to fix some stuff clearly. Yeah. Like, let's like be real about that. Everyone's here so you can fix them from being, you know, help them with their addiction. You're like, yeah, you're literally trying to fix people's addiction. Yeah. So I think, I mean, yeah, I'm I mean, also not that you can fix yeah. addiction. But totally. You know what I'm saying? Learn to deal with it and, and live day to day. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, man. Uh, so, yeah, but what you were saying, like, maybe know your audience. Like, if you're saying, sure, you don't need – deaf deafness isn't a disability. I think on paper that's not true. Uh, life is certainly harder if you are deaf. Um, but to say that you can live a positive, happy life while being deaf, I think awesome. But also this guy is just coming off of, like, his quote-unquote big break. Like, maybe the first thing you dish out to him isn't like, hey, you should be happy about being deaf. It's like he's going to need some time to, you know, essentially wish his music career goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you also, by the way, sort of see the, see the punchline coming of the surgery? Like I, it was not going to, he was not going to have like his normal hearing back, which it seems like that's what he thought. He also sold yeah. all of his stuff with like barely a Google search about this procedure. He was like, well, yeah. I'll sell everything. It's like, man, I don't know. You need someone to tell you or like, maybe just go talk to another doctor and be like, Hey, is this going to be like my hearing was, or is it going to be this really hard to listen to? Like, you know, buzzing sounds that kind of sound like people. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, it was pretty predictable that, that vibe yeah. of like, 
he thinks this is going to fix everything. We we kind of all know it's not. And also, like, they haven't been keeping in very close touch, and it was just, like... Yeah. Ah. Like, you know, it was... But then, you know, they kind of tied that in fairly well with, like, you know, the the addict behavior. Like, right. you're just right. you're kind of in your own reality, and, like, you're thinking delusionally that, like, something's going to be one way when it's just in reality it's 100%. not even close to that which on that on that same train of thought like it makes a lot of sense the acceptance that he finds in the end so basically we find out if you haven't seen the movie um when he finally does reunite with Lou um it's pretty clear that she's kind of moved on romantically um there's that sort of not a collage but a bunch of pictures on the wall of her with another guy and it that sort of relationship ends with him saying it's okay basically forgiving her and that's right in line with addictive behavior like you kind of want that sort of acceptance right and if, if that's which it seems clear like they are tying that in together like his disability his uh, his lack of being able to pursue his career or his romantic relationship he kind of comes to terms with that and i think that's really beautiful i thought that was well done yeah me too i like the the ending where he has those like that moment of clarity that stillness and yeah like he, it, yeah you see it come over him there's these moments of where he like something clicks in his head yeah and riz ahmed has just like the most beautiful expressive yeah, eyes like so just acting just the acting in his face was like you know the subtle shift of just like understanding and like okay things are never going to be the way they were and that's okay yeah yeah man i yeah that final scene if, if that's what you're talking about with the, the clock tower maybe Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really, I mean, also like, I'm not, I would, I don't want to make light of this, but there, there have been moments where it's like, it's so loud. Like I understand the ability to find peace in that silence. Like when he's like, look, I've been through so much and, and this clock tower is going nuts and these kids are arguing and screaming. Like, I'm finally going to reach for that peace that I know I probably uh, have the ability to achieve. I'm just going to mm-hmm. accept my situation and, and be happy about it. I love that part. Exactly. Yeah, no, I dug that. Um, I think this has to be asked. Would you rather be blind or deaf? Jesus. Yeah. Did it, did you think about that at all while watching this movie? Of course. Yeah, it's of course. <laughs> kind of impossible not to. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I was thinking about what it'd be like to lose my hearing. Totally. And, and uh, I would rather be be deaf. Oh, I'd rather be blind. Interesting. Be being blind seems terrifying. Like I would just be scared all the time. Yeah. I think being blind in, in daily life is harder, um, sort of to like manage your stuff, but I feel like being deaf is, uh, harder on, on your heart. I don't know. It's the music. Maybe it's the music thing for me. Uh, that's a big yeah. part of it. I don't know. Neither, yeah, I mean, neither, neither would be great. Well, and see my head goes to, well, if I was blind, it would be damn, it pretty much impossible to like have a regular job. That's true. Yeah, that'd be really so. tough. Yep. 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 That would suck. Yeah. But I mean there's there's a lot of nuance to to either argument and uh either way it would be real weird. Yeah, which brings it back to my point. This movie got us thinking about that, which is not something that I think most people consider. Uh and if it makes yeah. you even for a moment uh consider the plights of people less fortunate than yourself, I think that's that's wonderful. Yeah, empathy's a good thing. Um are you good on sound of metal? Yeah, I am. I think that was a fun pick. Okay, again, it's available on Amazon Prime if you have the subscription. If not, you can rent it for probably a few bucks. We think it's worth it. It was a 7.9 for Johnny, an 8 for me. If you would like to let us know what you think, we'd love to hear your feedback. Shoot us a quick email, fhccast at gmail.com. Before we get to beer number two, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. 
Folks, as usual, this episode is brought to you in part by our friends at The Handlebar. They're a craft beer bar and restaurant right here in Chico, California, on the south end of town. They're located at 2070 East 20th Street, and per usual, they have a happy hour seven days a week from 2 to 6 p.m. You get a dollar off all of their delicious, crafty, drafty beers. We highly encourage you to go check them out. Again, Handlebar right here in Chico, 2070 East 20th Street. Welcome to beer number two. Uh, me and you, Johnny. I am very excited to be meeting this beer for the very first time. It's another beer from Weldworks. Um, and I guess we'll just dive in, yeah? Let's do it, man. Let's rip. Okay, what do we got? Super excited for this one. I'm pouring it. I'm focusing on not spilling. Please <laughs> okay, hold. Uh, then I will say it is uh, lately your your worst enemy, potentially stylistically, which is to say it's a New England IPA. Um, I checked the internet. I haven't looked on the Where can... Does- Go ahead. Where does it say New England? Uh, on Untapped, it says New England. Oh, because it doesn't say that on the can at all or on their website. Right. Okay. So this was the discrepancy I was about to say. They just released a new one, Weldworks did, with uh, or it featured Motueka hops. And this is all to say the name of the beer is Advanced Fluid Dynamics. And you can see on our notes that I've highlighted and put question marks around the ABV. So what I will say, no, it's still 8.8. Um, does it, in your glass, look like a New England? little bit yes yeah i don't maybe we should get some clarification on that i'll try to do some digging but tell me more about the beer maybe give me a description and uh tell me the where you got it part yeah also from sns produce this is a double ipa like we said maybe brewed with sabro and lotus hops we think yes right? that, that part's correct that part's correct okay good yeah it says that on the can yep. so we got that it's 8.8 percent keep cold drink now is what it says. And that's it. This is supposed to be a double IPA. Uh, there is a pine, not pine tree. What are those called? Palm trees. Yeah. There's a palm tree on the front, which makes me think this is a tropical double IPA. Sure. Um, so. Okay. So I've just cross-referenced with Beer Advocate, which also has it listed as a New England IPA. Um, so I'm inclined to think it's a New England IPA. Hmm. But I think, you okay. know, maybe we'll, we'll if, if their website didn't say that, and the can definitely doesn't say that, like you said, maybe we will leave it up to our palates to decide, and our eyes and our noses and all those senses. Yeah. Including our sixth sixth sense. Our ESPN? <laughs> our ES, what's that from? Our ESPN. That's, That's from, from Mean Girls. Is it Mean Girls? I think so. I right? think so, too. But I'm not positive. Is I'm that pretty when her, sure it's, her boobs know yeah. when it's raining? Yeah, it's Mean Girl. Yeah, I think so, too. Okay. Oh, although on Beer Advocate here, this one has it uh, at 9.2%. Well, this is hmm. upsetting. Are we about to call Weldworks right now? Um, What time is it? It's 5 o'clock on a Wednesday. It's, I bet you they're six closed. O- it's, it's 6 o'clock, 7, 6 o'clock there. It's an hour difference. Which is, yeah. yeah or I guess. two hours. Well, here's what we'll do. Um, I will make a note in our, in our post-production editing, in my post-production editing stuff, and I will give them a call. And if it's important, I will drop in what they said right here. The person at extension 101 is not available. Record your message at the tone. Press any key or stop talking to end the recording. Well, shoot. And if not, then we'll just keep going. So I guess at some point, let's just assume our listeners now know whether or not. Yeah, but did, we'll just go did forward. We, did we check their actual website? I thought you said um, that you said it didn't say on their website. I'll double check because I'm pretty I sure said it didn't say on the can. I think all that's on their website right now is the one with the Motueka hop. 
So I'll double check. I'll see if they have it listed, but they have one of those websites where they, I think, only show what's currently available. Mm. I'll take another look though. But but have you had a taste? I have, man. I think this beer rips. Oh, it rips, huh? I think it rips. Tell me more. Slash buy me time. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. So I think this beer slaps with a really big zap of hops right in the front. I mean, you might say that this is a little juicy, uh, mm-hmm. but I'm getting just a blast of of hops. It definitely has a bit of sweetness, but it's the main focus of this beer is like that hoppy punch right at the front. And it is very present. And then you get this weird, mm, I'm not going to say sweetness. I'm going to say it's like a roundness to the flavor. That okay. It just gets mellow and soft and rounds out. It's it's very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Man. It's not quite all bitter, but it's not, I don't know. It's It's unique. It's definitely somewhere in the range of, of, I, double IPA and double New England. Yeah. See, like the Motu Echo one on their website says it's Imperial IPA slash double New England. Right. Okay. So now I've tracked down the other one. Yeah. Which is, which is the standard one, the advanced fluid dynamics full stop. Um, and here's what they have. And it does link to their on, un, their untapped, but they say this, one of our favorite beers so far this year, nice rhyme. And one which really gained some traction once the word got out about it was fluid dynamics. Brewed with our two new favoriteest tops, Sabro and Lotus, this hazy double IPA, okay, takes the same formula and turns it up to 11 in celebration of the Weldworks Invitational. A super soft mouthfeel complements big notes of tangerine, vanilla, coconut, and mango. My hangup is that it is listed as an IPA hyphen imperial slash double, but they did write this hazy double IPA. I'm not sure if they're just using hazy sort of nonchalantly or if they're saying it's a hazy, because hazy is not always indicative of a New England IPA, but oftentimes, you know, uh, sort of a square isn't a rectangle. Of a rectangle not all hazies are New right. England, <laughs> right, right. but all New England are hazy, man. Um, I don't know, man. I'm happy to defer to kind of what we taste. I'm I'm about to pour mine into my glass, but if if you're leaning towards it being very sort of hop bitey, then I'm I'm happy to call it just a, a standard uh, double IPA. Yeah, it's real punchy, but it's also like we've touched on. It's got that new era of IPA yeah, kind yeah. of taste that that what that would be like the third wave of IPA. Because we've had a wave, we've sure. had a second wave. Sure. I think we're on the third wave of IPAs. You mean IPAs in general or, or New England IPAs? Just like craft IPAs. Oh, like I just don't Just IPAs know. in general. I think we're past that. I mean, like first wave would have been like, you know, mid-80s, right? Mm, torpedo, the I, I think. The, I, the Torpedo didn't come out in the 80s. Did it like, not? What year did... No, I don't think so. Uh, production assistant. Look it up. Right? Um... Yeah, man. I mean, I just smelled it and it smells very New England to me. Like it smells super sweet. Um, there's some hoppiness there, but it's mostly kind of those, yeah, like tropical kind of juicy notes that I got. Um, let me taste it for real. Uh, I'm, I suppose hey, I will also allow you want me to fuck your head up right now? I, ugh, is it older than you? Go ahead. Is it something about our Torpe- ages? Go ahead. <laughs> Tor- torpedo. Torpedo came out in 2009. Oh, is that all? Yeah. That's incredible. Wow, yeah. really? That's that really blows my mind. I had no I really thought it was older than that. I wasn't set on the 80s, but 2009 no, big, big West Coast IPAs really started slapping in like the late in the late 90s, early 2000s. 
that does fuck me up a little bit. That's, huh. Okay. Yeah, dude. Torpedo's only 11 years, 11 old. years old. Wow. Okay. That's, wow. That's, I think that would throw a lot of people, like a lot of beer drinkers would be like, well, no way. It's way older than that. It just feels like it's been around forever because it's our hometown beer and I it's guess. been around since both of us could drink beer. Well, I was, I was 19. What you say? I graduated. No, I was. I was. I was seventeen. Sorry. Yeah, I was seventeen. You were. You were under. You were under the age as well. I graduated in 05. Oh, you might be. You're like like right there. It's like they put it out to celebrate. I was like twenty two when this beer came out. (laughs) Oh, that's wild, man. That that was like one of the sort of still, or was it one of the pioneers of sort of the big hoppy IPAs? Like that must have been. Yeah, it was up there. Man, I, okay, we got to do some digging. I got to do some learning at the very least. Like, I want to know. I just always thought of Torpedo as kind of like, you know, one of like the IPAs that led the charge into the IPA movement of the no. not late 80s. <laughs> huh. No, the um, the big thing that really, I mean, it's all pale ale that from Sierra Nevada. Yeah, right. Like okay, the, sure. The big moving and shaking. Yeah. Uh, huh. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm going to stick with this thing being in New England. When I tasted it, it's, I mean, there's a lot of like bright citrus stuff, like super tangerine-y. And um, I mean, that was kind of the main thing, orange and tangerine, maybe grapefruit. But there is a lot of sweetness that if this were just sort of a straightforward West Coast Imperial, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be getting. So I I would, I'd put money on it being a, a New England IPA. And a very enjoyable one at that, I dare say. What Do you like it? I don't think we've even said that. Do you enjoy it? I do. It's got some weird flavors in it that I'm not particularly used to. I think it's just the hot profile, but overall, no, this beer rips. I think it's good. Yeah. Oh yeah. You've said rips before. Sorry. Um, man, I think it's those Lotus hops. I think we, we've done them maybe two or three times. They're not a super common hop that I'm aware of. Um, but the, I think it's, we've had this conversation. Anytime a beer has Lotus hops, we're like, there's something different about it. Uh, I could be wrong, but it feels very floral. And I, I want to attribute that to a Lotus hop, but I'm not yeah, sure. that would make sense. Lotus sounds flowery. They, Lotus is a flower, so we're probably just associating that. Let's be real. Yeah, I also like it, man. It does, it does indeed rip, as you say. I'm, I'm a fan of it. It's super good. It definitely doesn't drink like an eight point eight. It drinks more like a six and a half. So another good thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. I think I like it more than most East Coast or like New England. You know, hazy. If yes. that's what we're gonna decide, yeah. it is. Uh, yeah, definitely like it more than some of those. So, yeah, I, I'm into it, man. I think it's good. I think it's got, I mean, especially being 8.8 too, this is something that's sneaky. It's going to drink a lot easier than 8.8, big time. You know, I do think coming back to the first beer, the Mango Mala Berliner, I said specifically that I wouldn't reach for a second one right after the first one or maybe even in the same night. But this one does have that sort of marathon hop brightness quality. Like I probably could drink a few of these in a row and not get burnt out on the very well-placed hoppiness. Like it's not so in your face that it's going to wreck your palate, but it is there. And it's enough of a counterpoint to the sweetness where I'm not going to get burnt out on the sweetness. Yeah, exactly. I think it's, it's really good. It's balanced and drinkable, really crushable. And those are all the qualities that made juicy bits so great and Absolutely. so famous and yeah. the absolute juggernaut and legend that it is in the craft beer game. So. Yeah, man. These guys make really good beer. I mean, both of these beers are world class. I I'm inclined to agree. Yeah, they're very good, dude. This is a this is yeah. a good good picks by the way this week. I don't think I I almost never do it on air, but you do a good job. Thank you for picking these. 
And nice, I guess thanks, I guess thanks man. to Andy as well. Maybe this is partially to Andy. Yeah, Andy. I you know what I I told Andy. It's funny. There's just this circular sure, back me. back yeah. padding that's yeah. happening right yeah. now. But yeah, <laughs> I was like, hey man, Andy. You know, you're really good at your job, and yeah. damn it, you make my job so much easier. Fair. Like, when, when you have someone that's just super dedicated to bringing in the freshest and the coolest and the most unique, it makes doing this podcast and picking out beers for it a walk in the park. Totally. And it's a dream to be able to just have that much turnover, because he'll bring in, like, one case of something. And yeah, then, yeah. Which, it's great. So, I mean, it is really, it's trickle-down beeronomics. Andy does a lot of the legwork and the research, and we do it together. Yeah. Like, I'll text him pictures of stuff, and That's he'll be great, like, Johnny, man. I got it in. <laughs> so it's it's definitely collaborative. Like, yeah. And it's self-serving, too. We both just like drinking the stuff. Like, he's passionate about it, and he is able to fulfill his passions by being a beer buyer. And, like, you get to pick the coolest stuff because you want to drink it like it's it's a dream it's amazing so i mean this this show wouldn't be possible without a lot of andy's out there oh yeah okay okay yeah it's fair fair andy in particular is is very helpful to the show but yeah there's an andy in every every town or you know five or six (laughs) andy's out there some are better than others because we've had our run-ins with uh you know you get your good good andy's your bad andy's but you know Either way, thank you. I appreciate you saying that, and uh, yeah. I will immediately pass on the credit away from my shoulders because I just want to drink cool beer. Fair enough, man. Uh, on that note, do you have anything else you want to add for advanced fluid dynamics before I we don't give it think a that I would drink more than two of these. It is delicious, and I really do like the balance and the hoppiness of it. But I would get burnt out on the like the thickness of it. It feels heavy. All right, wait. This, fe- this needs to be addressed because, like. I think I th- this is my scale. If I drink more than one, it's good. Uh, if I could drink more than one, it's good. This is a, a pint can of an almost 9% beer. I don't know what you're striving for. If you're like, I wouldn't drink more than two, like, I'm not criticizing it. Like, I, personally, <laughs> I'm like, I wouldn't drink more than four, which is like saying, I'm gonna like I I could handle more than four of these, which is not true. Like I'm so not drinking say- more than two of these. Like I'm not. I would not be doing great. You know. Like so, like, are you saying that my standards are a little fucked up? I just you gotta this? just. I think you've cast your line in a very ambitious way, and I just think we got to reel it in because the average person, which is not necessarily who these ratings are for, but even an ambitious beer drinker is probably not like drinking two of these back to back and being like, "Where's number three? You know what I mean? Mm, yeah, no, but like, if I get an IPA in a four pack, yeah, that's yeah. like really dope. Like that four pack's in serious jeopardy of not surviving. <laughs> I guess that's true. Like, uh, in you my know brain, it's, it's like, true. How yeah. many? Come on, <laughs> shut up, Max. So uh, I'll just bring this. Up. I'm let me make a note and hot and bothered. I'll mention this later. But um, I was gonna, yeah. Like sometimes you're right. It's not like we're drinking these like. We're not pounding them like another and another and another. We're not, um, we're not thawing it basically. Thor. Yeah. Just to simplify that, how he does it in that first movie. Like, yeah, like you're, you're drinking at a normal pace and they're in the fridge and like it's over the course of a few hours, I guess, but still like, I I think for for me, the bench is like, if, if I would drink a second one, this is, it it elevates it several notches above one that I'd be like, "Eh, I don't want another. Yeah. So I guess by my ridiculously, alcoholic standards sure i guess i would say some ipas i would be able to like between like 3 p.m and 10 p.m i would murder (laughs) four of them sure that's like when i get home from work 
It's that song. Like it's, around, it's, it's three o'clock somewhere. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, three o'clock is the rest of the world's nine, uh, five o'clock because I start at 6 a.m. Well, that's true. And also, if so, you factor in those beers from Colorado, you get an extra hour. So you're basically exactly. at five. Exactly. If, if you carry the one and recharge <laughs> the iambic pentameter, it I'm all makes that. sense to start drinking at three o'clock. It's not even a math and, term. That's poetry. And my point, exactly. And that is what my drinking is like. Fair. It's like goddamn poetry. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, like, by my weird standards, um, an IPA I bring home, if I really like it, like, for example, one right off the top, that Azaka, when that comes out from Founders every year, yeah, that like that six-pack has never lasted more than one night in my house, period. So yeah. like a four-pack of 16-ounce cans over the course of, you know, six hours, it's not that many beers. That's no. one pint every hour and then stretched out some, you know, yeah. because math. Yeah. Uh, so like I could easily do that, but like, I don't, I would have two and I feel like this beer would get heavy. Okay. But, but I feel like that's a pretty normal standard. Like, oh, I couldn't drink a four pack. Everyone's like, yeah, me neither. You maniac. Yeah. So it's like, it's I'm Christmas. Gonna... We're your relatives. Please. Yeah, you a, we're not even celebrating. We're here for an intervention. Please lock it Bro, up. It's like, noon. I on could drink four of these though. I'm like, we don't care. <laughs> We You're care about drinking you. IPAs and eating pie with your bare hands, dude. And a ghost story style. Yeah, just yeah. ugly crying on the floor like Rooney Mar. Oh, what a great movie, man! That's a great one. I was just thinking about that last night. I, I was need to watch it. I again. was too, actually. Uh, why really? were you thinking about it? Uh, I heard a song from the band Sugar Rose that reminded mm-hmm. me of the the band the song from that movie. Damn, that's a deep cut. Nice. Yeah, nice, nice, nice. So. Neural pathways, man. They're weird sometimes. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, tangent aside, though that was one of our better ones in recent months, I think. Um, let's let's every rate it, man. Let's let's <laughs> rate it. Every time we have a tangent, you have to like put it on a scale. <laughs> yeah, I like rating it's stuff. So I love it. Because some of our I tangents mean, suck. <laughs> some of you're like I can tell too, and you're just annoyed with me and you're yeah. like Fucking wrap it up, dude. Anyways, so back to this beer. Yeah, Johnny. I keep trying to make like little. Here's a little bridge to transition back, and you're like, I'm walking mm-hmm. past that bridge. No, thank you, sir. And I'm like, I am a titan of industry. I will jump <laughs> over your bridge. I am God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So all that to say, I don't know if I could drink four of these, but the more I drink of this one, the more I'm starting to feel like I could. So that's it's a crapshoot. Roll the dice, flip the coin, depending on what odds you want. Yeah. I like this beer. I think it's it's tremendous. I think it holds its own. It's a much different drinking experience than Juicy Bits. Don't go into this thinking it's going to be yeah. an identical experience because it's this is definitely more aggressive than Juicy Bits, uh, but in a really good way. I like the the contrast of you know the really sweet and you know Juicy Bits had its bite, but it was definitely more juicy. And and this is is way more aggressive and hoppy. So I like seeing that diversity. They're diversifying their IPA portfolio, and I got to say, Max, I'm loving it. I'm loving what they're doing with these beers. Put all your money on Weldworks. This beer is an 8.6 for me. 8.6, a.k.a. I don't know how I've landed higher than you, but I have. There is a degree of weight to this for sure. Um, I'm also not drinking four. I don't think I'm drinking three, but I would easily drink two. It's super bright. The sweetness from kind of the haze factor, the New England thing going on, is not drowning out any of the hot profiles that I really enjoy in this. I think it's a really well-balanced beer. The carbonation's there. I've had maybe 
let's see, um, maybe about 12 ounces at this point, and it's still holding up. I'm liking every sip, which isn't always the case, um, especially in a podcast setting where you have to like talk and say interesting things and remain jazzed about a thing that you're talking about. Like I'm still pretty jazzed about this beer. So for me, it is a nine out of 10, man. I'm, I'm, I'm super about it. Uh, I can't really complain much. Hell yeah. Weld works rips, dude. How much was it? Six bucks. Yeah. Okay. Well, now it makes me think the other one was too expensive and this is a great <laughs> deal, but you know, six bucks is fair for both of them. I think. Exactly. No, this is really good. Okay. Advanced fluid dynamics, 8.6 for Johnny, nine for myself. It's available definitely at SNS produce. If you're here in Chico, uh, probably at other reputable bottle stores as well. We are going to jump to a trailer for a, a movie that on paper I probably shouldn't have liked, but I very much did on paper, a movie Johnny probably should have liked and did. It's a film called possessor. I'm going to play the trailer and we'll talk about it right after that. What's your levels this time? You just make sure you pull the trigger on the way out. After initial binding, you'll be locked in with no loss of control permitted during this performance. Can't afford any mistakes on this one. Ready? That was a trailer for Possessor, a movie that you guessed it. I liked. What? <laughs> uh, Tasia Voss, an elite corporate assassin, takes control of other people's bodies using brain implant technology to execute high-profile targets. Right. What? This is a film written and directed by Brandon Cronenberg. He, if the, if the name Cronenberg rings a bell, is the son of the famous director David Cronenberg, uh, Brandon's first feature-length film came out in 2012. It was called Antiviral. I don't think that – I know that I haven't seen it. Johnny, have you seen it? I'm going to look it up while you're talking. Okay. I think I have. Um, so Possessor stars Andrea Risborough, who I have last seen in Mandy with Nick Cage. She plays Tasia Voss. Jennifer Jason Lee is sort of her her boss of this company. It's very unclear what this company does uh, outside of you know like secret assassinations, but Jennifer Jason Lee's character is named Gerder. Um, Christopher Abbott plays this guy named Colin Tate, who Tasia is sort of tasked with infiltrating the mind of and then carrying out a certain assassination of a guy named John Parse, here played by Sean Bean. He is the father of Colin's uh, basically, I think, I don't know if they're engaged yet, but they're about to be. Um, uh, Ava, played here by Tuppence Middleton. Um, and it's also worth noting that Tasia has a husband who she has recently split from, played by Rosif Sutherland. Rosif, possibly. Uh, this movie came out Sundance 2020. It was released to video on demand back in October on the 2nd of this year. And it runs 104 minutes long. You might know the name David Cronenberg from his uh, work with uh, actually not his work, his sort of invention of the genre body horror. We'll talk about his work in a little bit here, but. Um, to sort of bookend how you started this, Johnny, this is not a movie that on paper I should like. Um, no, it's very, it's very cerebral horror, very sort of, um, tactile and visceral and a lot of practical effects are used, um, that might have been years ago, um, a turnoff for me, but I like you really enjoyed this movie. Cause I, there's just a lot of work that went into it. Um, it's super sort of highbrow concept stuff, like sort of across, between something and black mirror. Um, the but, matrix. 
sure, The Matrix is a great is a great example. Um, but I'm very proud to say this was my pick. It's a movie that kind of came across my radar, and I was lucky enough to be like, "Hey, have you heard of this?" And you're like, I'm, "I don't know, I haven't seen it." So we watched it, and I do, per usual, want to get your thoughts first. First of all, you're giving yourself way too much credit. You watched this after an episode while we were very drunk. I just got a drunken text at like 10 p.m. Rentals have been made. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not <laughs> disputing that, but it was on my radar before that. That's why I watched. Okay. It. But like you weren't like, hey, you'll like this or like rented a horror movie no, on Voodoo. That's why I rented it because I thought we could do it on the show because you might like it. And I could earn yeah. some like horror credit points. Uh, yeah. I am very impressed, one, that you stomached this movie and two, that you see the art in it. And oh, like for the, sure. The goodness of it. Um, the first thing I'm going to say about Possessor is that it is unapologetically violent. Yeah. And... Uh, viscerally disturbing in a very, very delicious way. Can I can I jump in really quickly? Um, yes. Body horror, since we should define it, I had this pulled up, and it's it's so in line with what you're saying, which speaks to Brandon Cronenberg's, um, I think, sort of devotion to the genre that his father created. He says, body horror, or biological horror, is a subgenre of horror that intentionally showcases graphic or psychologically disturbing violations usually of the human body. These violations manifest through aberrant sex, mutations, mutilation, zombification, gratuitous violence, disease, or unnatural movements of the body. Oh, I like this genre. I didn't know this was a thing. It's I'm a thing. It. Yeah. And this is like you're saying, like this is right in that vein. I'm into it. Carry on. Um, yeah. So this movie, like I said, just uncompromisingly violent. And when used as a vehicle to portray ideas or propel a plot. I feel violence can be used as a very effective cinematic tool, uh, especially when it gets into the realm of the disturbing, because to me that becomes all the more thought provoking. So I feel like this movie really had a grasp of on-screen violence and how to use it to the best of its ability uh, to fulfill its potential for cultivating feelings. And I mean, this movie opens up and within the first 10 minutes, I was just like, Jesus Christ, what am I watching? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Why does Max like this? Uh, Okay. So this must (laughs) actually have some sort of cinematic content to, to, to couple with this strong cup of black violence coffee. Yeah. Lovely. Lovely sentence. Thank you. I, thoroughly enjoyed this movie i thought it was uh, a little bit groundbreaking a lot engaging very very thought-provoking very meta this movie was a lot more meta than i thought it was going to be it played with some really big ideas and it also had you know some very specific ideas to to get across and i think that they really just executed all of them very well i was Absolutely surprised by this movie, and I gotta say, I really, really liked it. I, I'm, I think I loved it. Really? Yeah, it was really good. It scratches me in a place where movies like Midsommar scratch me. Yeah, in that just, I've seen the slasher. I get it. I love B horror movies. I love slasher flicks, but they're predictable. Like it's not anything you haven't seen. But movies like Midsommar take you out of your skin 
by like the use of light and making it scary. Why is bright lighting fucking yeah. scary yeah, all yeah, of a sudden? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and like this movie takes like new approaches and like just, you know, the whole getting inside the head and just it's just so creepy and so unique and it's just it makes your your spine get jiggles and I love that. That's why I love horror movies and apparently like well done artistic cinematic horror movies are what I'm into now. So this was really, really, really good. Tell me why you love this movie. Yeah. I think it was interesting. You pointed out that I, your phrasing was that I was able to stomach this, which I think is the Mm -hmm. right phrasing because it is so intense. Um, particularly with its use of like, you know, um, painful human experiences. You mentioned the first 10 minutes, um, which I think we can lay out here and, and not consider it spoilery, which is that, um, cause I also don't think this was clear necessarily by the couple of sentences that we used to describe it. But basically Tasia Voss is like, yeah, this assassin and, and her company, um, sort of like kidnaps people and, and puts them under this weird sort of, uh, you know, anesthetic and puts something in their brain so that she can put something in her brain that allows her to sync up and use kind of their body as a vessel for her own means. And the movie starts off with one of those vessels. And I don't have the actress's name in front of me, but um, she's kind of putting something in her head to like recalibrate the functioning of that body. And she does, a, I should look it up. But she does a great job, like almost robotically going through these emotions, um, like sort of like a weird smile and then just like crying. And, and it looks like calibrating machine. And then she goes um, dressed in sort of a blue uniform with another, maybe like 10 gals who work at some sort of weirdly neon lit place. And she murders sort of this big kind of, sweaty suit looking fella like pretty gruesomely like she murders him him a lot like she murders the shit out of this guy like she's to the point where it's like you're clear he's dead why are you still stabbing him and granted we don't have a full grasp on what's happening at this point but like she's stabbing him and then um it becomes clear that like her her this doesn't end well for the surrogates basically like She's supposed to put the gun in the victim's mouth. I'm going to say victim um, and pull the trigger. And then she'll kind of get sucked out of the matrix. Yeah. But um, the victim is the person that she is currently inhabiting. So right. it's like a form of suicide. Totally. No, it's absolutely. Yeah. It's, 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 well, it's, it's murder, isn't it? Like, cause they don't yeah. do it themselves. Like she's basically murdering that person through them. Yeah. Um, it's like body snatcher shit. And I did want to have a comment about that initial scene before we get too far away from sure. it before you go on. So the way that it um, ends, the way that it ends is like she, unless you don't mean to talk about how that scene ends. Oh no, no. Like I, the, I just, when you say stomach it, yeah. um, there is a scene with a knife going in a neck <gasps> that is penetrative yeah, and borderline like rapey like sexual just like yeah. like full on like penetration yeah. Yeah. of a knife like ooh, it it's, was really just like viscerally disturbing yeah man i mean I, th- I think that's part of sort of not to get too sidelined here but like the the both both the appeal and the sort of revulsion towards body horror it's like there is this sort of like weird interplay that that people that make movies that are well done in this genre like there's this weird balance of like sexuality with violence and and it just pushes it past the point where you're like they're clearly trying to demonstrate some like in your case like they're it's like so obviously like rapey and gross and it's murder and it and like you don't even necessarily register registered at the time like i didn't think that but now that you're saying i was like yeah that really bothered me and that's part of it like and and brandon cronenberg does such a good job of capturing that throughout this movie it's so it's so 
Ugh, yeah. It's so bothersome. Uh, the violence in this movie. Will you, can you, I'm going to give you one guess what movie it reminded me of. Um, I don't know. What movie? You don't know. Not one guess even? Is it the penetrating part? Uh, just the overall violence and like body horror. In uh, this movie. I mean like Mandy or something. Uh, Antichrist. Oh, oh. See, it's the it's the penetrating versus the smashing. That's why I didn't connect it. And the snipping. Ooh, I forgot about the snipping. I'm not I'm not happy that you you <laughs> made me remember that. But yeah, man. Like, although I don't know that that would fall into sort of the 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 body horror part. I guess that is like super violating. But for That's me, the definition of body horror. I guess, but I, I picture it more as like a, as a Lovecrafty and kind of like, cause this movie is very like neon and, and kind of otherworldly and maybe it's the sci-fi elements and, and maybe you have a valid point. Like maybe it is antichrist. Like maybe that's what that is. Who knows? Maybe, you know, I think I know. I don't know what that's classified as that movie. I would assume it's just like fucking whatever Lars von Trier decides it is <laughs> weird. I think Lars von Trier is <laughs> its own genre. <laughs> He's he's in his own genre, but it's also a little bit of a body horror type thing as well. When you really think about it, yeah, I feel like I'd I'd lump him in with Gaspar Noe, who did who did Climax that we covered back in like yeah. one the one forties maybe, um, which you know like I don't know I hated Climax, but um, I also didn't like Antichrist, but for different reasons. And here, at least in in terms of Possessor, I feel like there's a greater sort of cultural commentary. And in those movies in particular, it almost felt like sort of physical abuse for the sake of capturing it cinematically one way or another. I don't know. I, those movies were tough for me. I certainly didn't okay. like them. <laughs> That's fair. Um, anyways, where were we at with this movie? Uh, just talking about really just getting through the first scene and like, right. uh, yeah. So uh, you liked it. I liked it. I thought it was really genius, and I liked the meta things they threw out, the very strange, uh, you know, some mental health stuff that they they dealt with. Yeah. It was was a wild movie, man. It was really captivating, though. I mean, it was, excuse me, burps. After the first scene, it's like, I'm invested. What is happening? This is crazy. Yeah, I feel like that's, I mean, because it does really interestingly toe the line between certainly horror and, and sci-fi and, and that points drama, but there's a lot to be said for like social commentary. Like what you're saying, she, she wakes up, so to speak from this first assassination and she's not super, she's not feeling great. Like there's clearly a degree of sort of losing touch with reality as she does this. And that's when we first get this talk with Jennifer Jason Lee as Gerder, sort of her, um, you know, I, what would you even call her character? She's sort of like the, medium or the 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 person in charge obviously but like also her therapist like i'm not sure what her deal is yeah kind of like also like the lighthouse of the the person totally you know that's on the inside like the guidepost yeah and like um tasia does not come back all in one piece and she has to be reminded like no you've you've you and your husband have split and you're no longer you know a thing and, and she has a hard time grasping that and it's clear that over time these quote unquote missions have kind of taken their toll. Um, and I just feel like from, from then on, and again, we're not spoiling too much at this point, but I think a lot is said about sort of the idea of um, maybe free will and, and sort of the overreach of corporations, if I'm digging kind of, um, and, mm-hmm. and yeah, like the meta qualities and, or like what the future holds. I love that about black mirror. And that's what reminded me the most of, of this movie is like, where can technology take us? And should we go? 
Yeah. And like, I think spoiler alert is fair in three, two, one. Danger zone. Danger zone. Danger zone. Danger zone. The way at the end, like when, or the whole main last murder plot there's two really where you're you're taking over bodies the yeah. first one okay. was wrapped up pretty quickly and the majority of the movie centers around the second one wait uh, which okay and, there i think there's three though in it no which one are you talking about then then lay it out for me the first one was the when the murder immediately at the beginning so then i would say the second one is is sean bean and colin tate's um girlfriend uh ava yeah, and there wasn't a third one. Oh, are you not, were you drinking for this by chance? Well, of our main character, are you talking about her kid? Yeah, I'm talking about her and her kid and the husband and her. I don't that we'll get to the end at some point, but I count yeah, that, that as kind of a the climax of it. No, that was but this main character had two murder plots that she was executing. She was on like two jobs. Okay, fair. And she got like kind of double crossed at the end, but that was like to my actually to my point that. This corporation she's working for is trying to take over this other corporation. Oh, right. Because the whole reason she's in there is to murder this family so that the company she works for that can take over people's bodies yeah, yeah. can also spy on everyone through webcams totally. and computers and stuff. And, like, that was really icky and creepy. It's way it's too like, close to home. It's like, yeah, uh, man, like, come on. Yeah. Man, but Sean, so, Sean being in this, granted, since we're in spoiler territory, like, if we can talk about sort of that that second group of murders, like when, so, so uh, at this point, Tassi Voss um, is Oof. in, in the body of Colin Tate played by Christopher Abbott. Um, yeah. And he will like, never look at fire pokers the same. God, man, I was, um, we'll get there. Um, there's a, like a lot of this sort of disassociation from your own body. So like when she gets into Colin, like she clearly takes a good look downstairs, like, Oh, let's see what this is about. And mm. I almost was like, what's, where's this going to go? And it doesn't really go anywhere sexually, I guess. But you also have um, Tuppence Middleton as Ava, who seems perfectly pleasant. Like they have a great or good enough to be considered great relationship. And that's where like the epics start coming in. Because in the first murder, the big suit dude, you don't care. He seems like a shitty enough guy. And here it's like she, at the very least, maybe her dad played by Sean Bean, notwithstanding, he seems kind of like a dick. But like she is nice and good and they have a good relationship and and we know now that the goal is to murder um john pars sean bean uh ava colin's girlfriend and then pull the trigger on have colin pull the trigger on himself and this is the Mm -hmm. point in the move where i'm like i don't know that i was ever rooting for this company but now i'm definitely not like i'm rooting for colin at this point Mm -hmm. because and and then the way that that all goes down is very fucking hard to watch like because oh that's the other part like Tasha's in colin's body and she's getting like instructions via a microphone or something in her brain from girder and and it's like cause a scene make a fight with this girl who you love to give some sort of excuse that you'll come back and murder them and like the moments leading up to to colin building up that um you know momentum to start a fight i'm i was like there like clenching my fingers or my fists like Oh, don't do it. Like, don't it's don't do it. Don't ruin this good person's life. You know, like kill Sean Bean. If you have to, he seems like a huge corporate asshole, but like, don't kill Ava, you know? Right. Yeah. But let's talk about, let's talk about the Sean Bean murder. Cause that is kind of where if you're, if you're on the fence about watching the rest of this movie, I think that's kind of where people jump ship. (laughs) 
It's brutal, it was man. So much extra. Like, there's killing somebody, and then there's like, yeah, he killed him a lot, which ties back in like her murdering that suit guy. Like I kind of knew it was coming. Like she's clearly fucking lost it a little bit. Like she stabs yeah, that she, guy to death, and she beats him and stabs Sean Bean to death with his poker. Yeah, with a fire oh. poker, just and like in the teeth and the oh. eyes, and yeah, it was very visceral and crunchy. Uh, yeah. Man. And I wanted to bring up too our our main character's kind of descent into homicidal maniac territory. Yeah, okay. Um, as it relates to the end of this movie, we were discussing um that because we're in spoiler alert time. Yeah, it's always yeah. like we've all seen it. Yeah. Um, the fact that she's kind of losing it, like she's coming apart at the seams, and then and then Jennifer Jason Lee's character is like Girder. Gerder, 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 Gerder. Gotta Gerder. remember Gerder. Gerder. Just, yes. Like, send her back in. Send her back in. Yeah. And it's like, I'm thinking at the end, during this, I'm like, are they going to make a scapegoat of her? Like, is she the sacrificial lamb? Oh, that, sure. Sure. You know, and then it comes to fruition because once you have this sort of massive merger where, like, these companies, hostile takeovers and all this crazy shit's happening... You like you have to get rid of the tools that you used to to fulfill that plan. Yeah. Especially on this scale. So it's like this company's so evil, they're using her to do all this, and then they're gonna just get rid of her. And that kind of got tied up at the end with with Gerder going in. That was fucking nuts. Yeah. Um I feel like so that's sort of I, I almost wonder if there's an unspoken boundary in a lot of films where like you don't maybe fucking murder kids. Um, I don't necessarily have that boundary. Like I think in, in this case in particular, like that her, her son, Tasia's son um, is inhabited. Is what you're saying is inhabited by Gerder and is murdered, <laughs> like shot a couple times and then stabs her. And it's like, I, that's extremely disturbing. Um, but I am at least able to be like, no, part of the story, disturbing, effective. I don't like that at all. But I could see how that's another point where people are like, that's, look, it's a kid. That's too far. Did you have that reaction at all? No. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. No, it didn't bother me. This whole movie reminded me of, like, music videos I used to watch when I was a kid. Oh, shoot. Damn it. It's <laughs> not good. <laughs> what? Well, Why I mean, is that? Just, it's just, you know. That makes you. For you being a child, that's a lot. It's a lot to deal with. You sounded so sad, though. I was sad. Oh, shoot. You've been exposed to a lot as a young man. It's oh, fine, It's though. It's fine. I was part of the Columbine generation, man. I mean, we're not that far apart in age. Like, I was aware of that as well. It's, like, it's rough, man. And that's what comes back in this, like, um, in this end scene. Like, I don't even fully understand exactly what happened. Like, basically, because we've skipped a little bit here, um, Gerder sends in sort of a, um, like, a plant from Colin's life to kind of recalibrate Tasia inside Colin's body. I'm realizing this is so hard to talk about now if you haven't seen the movie, but if you have seen it, hopefully you're following. Um, and then as Colin, who is apparently a pretty strong-willed individual, is fighting back against the influence of Tasia, kills that uh, plant, murders some other gal, and like basically goes back to Tasia's house because apparently he knows that as well, which is going to lead me to ask you about sort of the m morphing practical effect scenes we'll talk about in a second, but... As I understand it, he gets back to her family's house with Michael and her son, basically murders them, and then Gerder comes 
into her son's body, murders the body of Colin. And -hmm. then Tasia and Gerda wake up from the matrix uh, and kind of smile at each other. Is that kind of how you read it? Uh, I thought Tasia died. No, no, no. She, she wakes up at the end and like, you'd expect her to be like, Hey, you just, you just killed my, or you just killed my son and my husband. Like you made me, I don't know. You'd expect her to be upset. And like, they kind of just have like this knowing grin. I don't know, man. I could be wrong. It's been about a week since I watched this, but I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Hmm. I don't remember that at all. Then I could be wrong. Yeah. You think it's just a uh, Gerda that wakes up? It's like yeah. time to continue the mission of the company. Yeah. You could be right. That makes way more sense. I was like, did they like wake up and like wink at each other and run away to Mexico or something? Well, no, I don't think, I, it was, I mean, I don't think it was that, but it was like, but that's I, the sequel. Well, I read right? it more as like her, uh, um, Tasia waking up and be like, you know what? Like I've, I've already sacrificed a lot. Now my husband and my child are dead. This is who I am. Like, like I'm going to smile about it because like there's no running from my true nature kind of thing. That's how at least I'm remembering it now. But again, could huh. could be wrong. Could be making this all up, I guess. Yeah. Well, apparently we need to rewatch this movie because neither of us remember the end. Which is, end. yeah, which is to say um, some of this could be unwatchable for some people. But I wanted to ask you, not so much from a disturbing perspective, but from like an effects perspective. There's a scene or actually a couple of scenes where there's clearly sort of a struggle between um, Tasia and Colin as she's trying to inhabit his body. And he's like, no, don't take my body. And she's like, I'm taking it. And there's, there's sort of sequences of her face melting into his and vice versa. In particular, there's one where her body deconstructs when she's first going into his brain and is sort of rebuilt in the shape of him. And it looks very, it feels oversimplified to say fake, but I'm going to start there. It feels very fake and it looks almost like wax or plastic sort of melting in, in stop motion. It um, very, had a very claymation feel to it. Super, yeah. But for me, like it spoke volumes to Brandon Cronenberg, Cronenberg's desire to do like real hands-on practical effects, which in in modern filmmaking is not always kind of the go-to for a lot of directors. You could have CGI'd that and gone for like photorealistic sort of fleshy stuff, but he went for this very specific aesthetic. Um, and I just assume at this point it worked for you, but but just in case it didn't, how how do you feel about it? Yes, 100% it worked for me because that would have been so obviously fake and contrived. Uh, I have a hard and fast rule that practical effects, whether or not you like them, they're better in a lot of instances because the fact is whether or not something you're looking at is completely believable in the real universe or not, if it's a practical effect – you're actually looking at a real thing. There is still no substitution for looking at a real thing. Even if it looks fake as fuck, it's still a real thing, so it's not fake. So fake is real, man. I mean, I guess it depends what you mean by substitution. Like, there is a substitution. I mean, there's there's great special effects out there. If I watched the latest Transformers movie and nobody told me that CGI was the thing, I would think that was, I mean, there's a number of caveats here, but like, that looks real. Yeah. But for but, me, I mean, the distinction for is this like, type of movie though. Yes. Like the distinction for me is, is I guess number one is, is the, the effort and commitment to let's say the, the vibe, the aesthetic, like it's, it's not realistic, but it still had the same effect on me. Like it was very bothersome. I was like, ugh, mm-hmm. like ugh, whatever he keyed into something and, and 
like major props to their VFX department. It's just so good. Yeah, it was really good. Um, okay. I think that's about where I would like to end my thoughts on Possessor. Do you have anything else? No, I don't think so. Other than uh, I think you should watch it like at your own risk. But I mean, I yeah. think if you've listened to the show this long or you know today or at least sure. more than once in yeah. your life other than this episode, um, both of us, you, you either identify with me or with, with Max. And I think that we line up on a movie of this genre. Yeah. Uh, speaks to its uh, content and it's maybe not watchability, but it's worth yes to watch. This is kind of the weird uh, for, for years. I was like, don't listen to this podcast with your kids if we start swearing. And I think that's silly, but I will say for this movie, this is definitely not one to put on with your kid. I don't, I think this is like, skip it with your kids for sure. Cause I'm, I don't know. I, it's this, there's a lot of nightmare fodder in this one. It worked out fine for me, man. Did it though? did it <laughs> mm, i don't know let's give it out of 10 dude uh out of 10 this is a 9.1 9.1 yeah it's a it's a it's a flat nine for me it's great we're just just neck and neck today uh we are we're, very we're good so man. simpatico uh we are going to jump then i suppose into into johnny's favorite segment of uh if i can spoof this week and every week what's got you hot and bothered johnny summers Oh, yes. I've watched multiple movies recently, and none of them were particularly good. Uh, so I want, a, okay. to, I want to bring back an old concept, and bothered. I want to give you 60-second synopsis of two movies that are both my bothered this okay. week. Okay, I think you mean 30. Whoa, were we only doing thirty? Yeah, we do thirty. And and I, if they were good movies, like yeah, take sixty. But if you didn't like them, we're going we're going thirty for sure. Okay, yeah, thirty. We'll do like thirty second rundowns. So sixty seconds total. Okay, then I will give you thirty on the clock, starting in. I just because going to five, four. What's the first movie? Three, two, one. Greenland is a movie about a rogue comet that's coming to destroy the Earth at least most of it, in a dinosaur extinction-level event. Uh, what's his name? Gerard Butler is uh, a structural engineer that gets selected to be taken to a shelter in Greenland that is statistically the most survivable place where you can hide underground in this bunker. Five not, a lot of, not a lot of people get this notice. It gets real awkward. Gerard Butler will save you from the apocalypse. Good enough. 60 seconds of follow-up questions. Gerard Butler, huh? Yep. Okay, uh, were the special effects good in this? Pretty cool. Okay, good. Would they have been better if if uh, Brandon Cronenberg had done practical effects instead? Yes. This Does, movie would have been incredibly more disturbing. Where did you watch it? Uh, I watched it on streaming online. Ballpark, how long is it? Uh, like It's like a, like a 90, 110 movie, minute, somewhere in there. It's way too long. Is it, a, is it a good, bad movie, a terrible movie, or just should I not even be asking you follow-up questions? It's a, a moderate bad movie. Like, it's predictable. Like, you go into it knowing that Gerard Butler and his family are going to live. You just have to, like, wait and see how. Does Gerard Butler look puffier or less puffy than he did in Den of Thieves? Ooh, puffier. He's got a beard. He's just getting puffy these days. I understand. Okay, that's Greenland. Uh, check it out if you want. I say not. But, Johnny, your second bothered. I'm going to give you 30 seconds on the clock starting in let's say three two one so buddy games is 
a movie that's designed for Max to hate it. I actually kind of <laughs> liked it. It's not 100% bothered. It's right in the middle for me. It's about a group of friends that every year get together and play oh, ridiculous right. Right. challenge games, like most extreme elimination challenge style, and they crown a champion every year. Everything's going great up until their 30s until someone gets shot in the nuts with a paintball gun and ends up losing both their nuts, and it brings a stop to the buddy games. I'm going to give you an but extra 30 for fun. Keep going. They have to get their buddy with no balls back out of the mental institution. So they organize the buddy games. Nick Swartzen's the guy that shot his balls off. They have sure. to get back together and do these crazy challenges. There's lots of teabagging, lots of Ten inappropriate seconds. jokes, lots of fart jokes, lots of dick jokes. I really actually kind of liked it. I knew you would hate it. So it's my medium. It's it's my it's my lukewarm. Time. That's it. Okay. You like Nick Swartzen in general? Yes. Where'd you watch this? Uh, also streamed it online on like a cheap streaming service. I think this was like five or six dollars to watch. What was the ratio of people being hit in the balls to saying the word balls? Oh, so many more saying the word balls and balls jokes. Okay. Um, would you watch this again? Yes. Okay. How long was it? Uh, it was like a tight 90. Remind me where you watched it. Uh, I want to say voodoo. And name one other actor in it. Oh, that guy that's like, um, like budget Timothy Oliphant. Uh, no, he I, directed it. Oh, Judd Apatow. No, no, no. Like he looks like Timothy Oliphant. I'm not. I'm sure. gonna pull it up. Okay, it is Josh Duhamel. Oh, Josh Dumel is how you say it. Yeah, sure. Okay, well, that's Buddy Games, and that was Greenland oh, before and, that. Oh, and uh, Dax Shepard's in it, too. That's right. That's where I heard about it was on his podcast. Yep. Johnny, I trust that you have a hot this week. Yes. Right. In keeping with uh, a not record, only, you say. Uh, yep. Sure. Not only in keeping with our second film, Possessor, uh, with the horror spooky stuff happening. Uh, yeah, my record this week is actually a single put out by my one of my very, very favorite deathcore bands, which is a subgenre of death metal, which is a subgenre it's like body of horror metal. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's out there. Uh, but it's a song called Killing Season by the band Thy Art is Murder. It is nasty and viciously breakdowny. And it's all about the plight of the Native American and colonization um and like the genocide of, of native Americans and it's the killing season. That's what it's about. Uh, it's, it's really lyrically kind of dense and cool and heavy and like a, you know, fuck you for killing Indians kind of way. So it's metal does this sometimes where they take on an issue and just like a, write a really aggressive song about it. That's just like from the perspective yeah. of the oppressed. Yeah. Uh, and it's really cool. And I like it when bands that I like do that. There's been a bunch of them. Uh, and this is a really cool YouTube video. You can check it out. I love the song quite a bit. It's hopefully leading up to a new album. But they've done a few singles that are just released as like seven inches before. Uh, but anyways, The Art is Murder, Killing Season. If you're in the mood for some really aggressive, heavy, breakdowny double bass pedal just rip your face off and spit on it and then sew it back on type metal. Check that song out. Deal. Okay. The other day, um, this would have been, let's see, I think Tuesday secret trail friends right here in Chico. Um, 
uh, announced on Instagram that they were canning Greengate again on Wednesday. Because of that, they were overstocked on their current Greengate and they were selling four packs for $7.50. Hmm, that's interesting. Was it super old? It was. It was about five weeks old. So, so you know, if you like Greengate, not- much within the window that you drink it. That's not the worst. No, it's that's fine. Not crazy old. For seven fifty for a four pack, like just shy of two dollars a beer. I was like, that's a pretty good deal. And is it still delicious? It's fine. It's better than fine, I guess. It's it's pretty good. It's not delicious. It's fine. You know. Oof. But I bought three four packs. I gave one to my friend okay. Jacob, um, which is a nice tie into another uh, thing that's kind of that that was a hot, by the way, but a bothered is that um my wife Gianna drives uh, an, a 2002 Ford F-350, which is a big truck. And yes. it's an expensive truck. It's the kind of truck that costs $120 to fill up the gas. Uh, you know, it needs $100 without labor of oil for an oil change. And Jesus. the uh, ga- uh, the power steering pump just sort of crapped out. And we realized that um, today. And our friend slash landlord slash just good guy slash mechanic in general, uh, Jacob has been working on it all day today. And that's where one of my four packs of green gate went just as like a small token and be like, Hey man, I can't do this at all. Um, help, but please. I know you can, and you're good at stuff. So please thank you. Um, which is sort of another way of flipping and bothered into a, into a hot by saying like, I was just out, um, his fiance's name is Serena. We're all, if you don't know, like we all kind of live near each other on the same property. Like there are landlords, but we're also friends and it's always hard to describe to people. Um, so yeah, it's a sex commune. It's a, it's a sex commune. Um, but, but every Tuesday for the past uh, couple months, um, Jacob teaches out at Butte and Gianna was working, um, at Valley Oak. So me and Serena would be stuck, uh, at, at home on a Tuesday and we'd go out and like on a bike adventure or, uh, a hike or something that maybe Gianna and Jacob don't necessarily want to do. And we always end up at like the handlebar or Argus or something. And at the first it was like, yeah, like she were friends, but also she's my landlord and like, whatever. It's just super weird to describe all this to say. It's just, we've had like little moments over the past few months in, in the pandemic where it's like, it's become more of sort of a family bubble and it's been lovely. And I just love all of them. And it's been great. Nice. So, so that hot. is a, f- that's a lovely positive note to end this show on. I and like my that. final one, if I may, uh, which is more sort of in line with the show, is that there's a, a new show on Netflix. Uh, it's not new in general, but it is new to Netflix. It's called The Repair Shop. Um, it is so good. It's so good. Um, it's season three they put on Netflix. So it's been around a minute, but it's uh, season three is in England. And there's this little sort of renovated barn and all of these little craftsmen have their own stations. There's like a welder and a ceramics artist and a fabric person and whatever. All these people are good at what they do. Uh, and little people from across sort of the, across Europe will come and bring their things. Like this was my, this was my grandfather's toy horse made of wood when he was a kid. And my dumb kid snapped the leg off. Can you fix it? It's more complicated than that, but that's the idea. And you get backstory on these little toys or, or family trinkets and then the people fix it and then they put it over a little drape and they reveal it to people a week later. And then those people cry. And then I cry. Cause that's how I, my brain works. And, and then we're all better for it. And then more, three more people come in for the next episode. There's like 18 episodes in season three, which is on Netflix. It's called the repair shop. It's just a lovely little like drama free, delicious nugget of happiness. And I really think everybody should check it out. 
Nice. Yeah, I can second that. It's a great show. It's it just, is like yeah. it's like a band-aid for your sad, broken soul. Yeah, man. It's it's so nice. It's just great. It is. It's so soothing. I love uh, it. Yeah, with that, that is the end of my hot and bothered. Um, do you have any other hots and or botheds? That is the end of the show. Okay, then I do have a little teaser for next week. Before I get to that, I want to say the show wouldn't be what it is without the support of Bailey Minardi. If you are the prepping type, we encourage you to watch Mank on Netflix for next week's episode. If you haven't uh, seen Citizen Kane, I think that's a really good prerequisite to Mank. You can also get your hands on some Anderson Valley beers because we're going to be covering their beers next week. We're also talking with uh, some people from Anderson Valley. It's going to be a really fun episode. Again, check out Mank. Drink some Anderson Valley. It's going to be a good time. Uh, Until next week, that's Johnny Summers. That's Max Minardi. We love you. Stay safe. We'll see you next time. This is Fresh Hop Cinema.